0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Judith Orloff. Dr. Orloff is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA and a board-certified psychiatrist who blends traditional medical skills with her knowledge of intuition, energy, and spirituality into a complementary approach. She's the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Emotional Freedom as well as the Sounds True audio learning programs, positive energy practices, and becoming an intuitive healer. I spoke with Judith about the emerging field of energy psychiatry and how to work with our emotions in such a way that we experience what she calls emotional freedom. Hi, Judith. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. You know, it's interesting. When I first looked at your new book a couple of months ago and saw the subtitle, Liberate Yourself from Negative Emotions and Transform Your Life, I actually had a negative response. I thought, negative emotions, why why do people always think about certain emotions as being positive and certain emotions as being negative? But then, of course, as I spent some time with the book, I, I saw that you actually don't really think of negative emotions as things that are Emotions that we should avoid. So, I'm wondering if you could just explain that. Are there emotions that are negative, quote unquote?
1: Well, you know, that's a really good point. But there are emotions such as fear and anger um, and worry and anxiety. Um, It's negative in the sense that they can detract from health and well being and clarity. And that if you build those emotions up over a period of years, it will create some toxicity in your body and cause you to age in a, a very destructive way, as opposed to, and that, that's what I mean by negative, but I'm presenting in Emotional Freedom all emotions as a path to spiritual awakening, and that emotions are energies, just like there's a yin and a yang, there's a positive charge and a negative charge. I don't mean negative in a judgmental way. I mean negative as an opportunity to be able to transform, you know, what is, Dark within us into something lighter, not by repressing, suppressing, not noticing the emotion, but by noticing the emotion, but then working with that energy, which can turn against you if it builds up in your body, to create something more positive, such as transforming fear with courage, transforming anger with compassion. In traditional psychiatry, in my training at UCLA, I was taught to either medicate an emotion with Prozac or anti-anxiety or antipsychotic, um, or get to the bottom of it so that it could go away. And um, my approach with the book is very different than that. It has to do with trans- the transformation of energy, transforming fear with courage. So negative, positive, yin yang, you know, all of that. Not in a judgmental sense, but just the point of emotional freedom is creating more positive energies of emotions within the body and learning to work with the stressful, negative, difficult, you know, those emotions that can bring us down, to learn how to work with those so they don't bring us down and we can learn to work with them as energies to transform. So that's what I mean.
0: But when you you give the image of yin and yang, of course there's an equal amount and they're in balance, but it sounds like the way you're talking about emotions are, are a little different than that because we don't really want some equal amount of uh, dark and light emotions, do we, or do we?
1: Well, as human beings, you know, we have dark and light within us. And the key is, as emotional freedom, is to learn how to work with the dark to create more of a tipping point to go towards the light. And unfortunately, most people, you know, have fear, have anger, you know, have resentments, and they don't know what to do with it except to feel justified in holding on to it for an entire lifetime. You see, and that creates more of the balance towards the negative. But what we want to do is work with the energies within us. And myself, you know, as as a psychiatrist, I work with patients to teach them how to transform negative energies within. And also, you know, in the book, I talk about how I transform these energies in myself. It's part of my spiritual practice, learning how to work with darkness. Not in a, even a negative sense or a charged sense, but learning how to work with darkness and transform it into light in the self. It's I presenting emotions as a path to inner peace. It's an inner peace movement. Because when we learn to work with these energies within, then we can create, actively create more inner peace inside. And then we become these transmitters that transmit peace out into the world, and then we have a chance of creating a critical mass in the world to tip the scales towards outer peace, towards global peace. But if you have populations of people who are mired down with fear, anxiety, worry, uh, resentments, there's no way that you can be congruent to create peace in the world because you're not generating it in yourself. So that's the essence of emotional freedom.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's helpful. I'm curious you you mentioned how a lot of this work came from your own engagement with emotions inside of yourself, your personal laboratory and I'm curious if you could just give an example from your own life of an emotional challenge, something that's difficult for you, and how that transformation has worked
1: Well, in the beginning of the book, I talk about how you know in the in my in the sixties and my you know as I was growing up I was had all these powerful intuitions about deaths and illnesses and earthquakes and my parents who were both physicians, um, it really upset them and when I was very young they told me that I was never allowed to mention them in my house again. So I grew up believing there was something wrong with me and my healing path of course has been, you know, to integrate intuition into the realm of emotions and into my whole being, you know, as a psychiatrist and everything I do. But during that time, I I was, uh, you know, really trying to fit in, and I I wanted to squash my intuition, so I got very heavily involved with drugs. And I, you know, a crazy wild, you know, person in the 60s, um, and my parents got very concerned, and, and I wrote about this in the beginning of Emotional Freedom, so they packed me up one night and put me in a psychiatric hospital for drugs and locked me up there, you see. And that was where the path to emotional freedom began for me. Because I was able to meet my first psychiatrist, who was my mentor, who sent me to see Dr. Thelma Moss, who was a parapsychologist, who helped me learn to integrate my intuition. But in that mental hospital, basically, you know, they didn't have drug units back then, you know, for 12 steps, and, you know, that I was aware of. And in that mental hospital, I was able to see that I was just rebelling against my parents, and that in order to be whole and have emotional freedom. I had to really begin to embrace my intuition and work with my emotions on my own terms, not just in rebellion to them. And what's so interesting is that years later, you know, I was an attending psychiatrist in that same psychiatric hospital that my parents put me in. Wow. So, you know, truly the inmates are running the institution, which I get a lot of joy from, (laughs) personally. You know, but, but that, you know, that's life. Life goes in cycles, and that's where I... I first learned about emotional freedom, and uh, I had to find the center in myself and not just be reactive to, every, to my parents or outside influences in order for me to be intuit- wildly intuitive and embrace that and, and find some inner peace emotionally.
0: Uh uh-huh. Now, you have coined a term, energy psychiatry, to describe the work that you do. Can you explain what that is? It's sort of a, a pioneering new outgrowth of a traditional psychiatric field?
1: Well, energy psychiatry is a combination of everything I've learned in traditional medicine during my training at USC and UCLA. Plus, I include um, an awareness of spirituality, subtle energies of intuition, and the unseen realms in order to understand the soul of a person. And so, you know, instead of just Seeing a person as a biological unit that requires biological intervention with medications or even psychological interventions, I see everyone as an energetic being um, that needs to be really looked at, mind, body, and spirit from the standpoint of intuition and something greater that includes a higher power in the whole process. Because when I work with patients and when I give workshops, it's always me, them, And spirit, it's never not. But I was never taught that in my psychiatric training. The word spiritual was never brought up. And so I feel really passionate about creating a new field of psychiatry that incorporates an integrative, truly integrative approach. And I just want to make the point it's not static. It keeps growing because when you deal with the unseen and you're creating a new field of medicine, it keeps growing in terms of its potential and what can be included in it. So that's what's so exciting, as all fields should be. I, you know, a field, the idea that a field is static and you've learned everything within a field, it doesn't make any sense to me. You keep learning more and more, and you incorporate that, that learning more into the field.
0: So in the field of energy psychiatry, this evolving field, do you still see the need to prescribe medication, psychiatric medication, potentially for patients?
1: know it depends my entire practice is based on a combination of intellect and intuition and so when each person comes in I see them new I see them fresh I don't put them in a box and so I always tune in to what's most appropriate for the person and at time medication maybe who knows I don't have a preference for how I treat people I treat people in the way that could help them the most and so if somebody comes in with a major depression and I write about this you know, in, in the book where when you're depressed, a major depression, the amount of suffering that goes along with that is enormous. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't. If a rose is put in front of you, you cannot see the beauty in it. You feel hopeless. You may want to kill yourself. And so you don't really have the wherewithal to start meditating or start using the other strategies that I talk about and so sometimes the biology and the biochemistry needs a little boost and so you need to get a bit of serotonin to get you back on track and that's the most compassionate track but where i have a real difficulty is with uh, neuropsychiatry who just dispenses medication without even giving psychotherapy or any kind of spiritual techniques to help a person develop the serotonin and harness their biology as they talk about an emotional freedom and so they don't have any of those techniques. And so in answer to your question, each person is different. I tune in. And you know, my, my preference, of course, is to help people work with their own bodies so they could begin to be masters of their biochemistry. But sometimes they need to be on medication first in order to have the, the strength or the desire to even do that, because otherwise the clarity isn't there.
0: Can you talk more about what that means, how... how in this quest for emotional freedom, can I work with my own biochemistry so that I can become a, a, a as you said, a master of my own biochemistry?
1: Yes. Well, the divine—I want to make this point—is in the biology, it's in the psychology, it's in every body fluid that we have, it's in, you every synapse that's firing. So it's not as there's the the. Uh, biology over here and then the spirituality over there, it's all a spiritual exploration. When you explore the body, my God, what a powerful exploration. But just basically, you know, I in the book, I start to educate people about the stress response, and I have a diagram there so that people are accountable for what happens when they're chronically worried, when they're chronically anxious, or indulging in jealousy and envy on a chronic in a chronic way. And and what happens is, to harness your biology, you have to, number one, know what's going on. Number two, take action to reverse it. And basically, what happens during stress, during if if you're a chronic warrior, is that your amygdala, the emotional center in the brain, sends out a signal to your adrenal glands, which then stimulate the cortisol and adrenaline and the stress hormones, which start rushing through your system which cause your muscles to tense, your eyes to dilate, your hydrochloric acid in your stomach to start pouring through, your heart to race, um, and all kinds of negative effects in your body. You need to know that. All right, to transform that, you need to create the relaxation response, which allows the endorphins, those natural painkillers in the body, to start flooding through to calm the system down. All right. So biologically you need to learn to make that shift and be accountable for what happens if you don't. You see there's a diagram in the book in terms of what to look at and I suggest to my patients, actually look at this. What happens to your body under stress? Well you I see you see the body and then you see what happens. This is what happens. People don't think about it, they don't get it. So you need to bring that into your consciousness and then take steps. There's a three minute meditation that I really recommend, and I practice all the time myself.
0: Can we do it together right now, Judith, if it only takes three minutes? Can you take me through it?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, let's uh, do it together. What emotion are you feeling most now in terms of uh,
0: stress? Um, Let's say self-criticism, fear that I'm not good enough, that this conversation won't be good enough, something like that.
1: <laughs> That's nice, Canning. I like that. What I love about you is you're so honest. That's true. I love that, but that to me is emotional freedom. To be, I'm just in two seconds for you to get to that. That's beautiful. I, I really want to...
0: Okay, but let's do this three-minute meditation together <laughs> with our <laughs> listeners.
1: All right. Three-minute meditation, if you're feeling fear about not being enough, yeah. and notice, you know, before we do that, notice what happens in your body when you really focus on, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, and begin to feel that pumping through your system. But the three-minute meditation is to stop, close the door. If you're if you're in an office, I don't know where you are, close the door, turn off all your other electronic devices, take a few deep breaths, and sit in your chair, sit on a couch, and take a few deep breaths to calm everything down. And when the thoughts come, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. Picture them as clouds floating by in the sky, and refocus on the sensuality of the breath as you have the in-breath, and then the out-breath, and then the in-breath, and the out-breath. And then put your hand over your heart, which is your heart chakra, the center for unconditional love. Focus on a beautiful, loving image, whatever it may be. It can be a sunset. It can be a texture. It can be the sand. It can be water, flowing water. Whatever it is, every person has to find what image calms them down. With the hand over the heart and breathing, focusing, feeling your images. My image is, is uh, water the flowing river with the night sky reflected in it. That's that's the image I take to the meditation. And so you focus on the sound of the water and the flowing, beautiful water, fluid, clear, loving. Use the breath to calm your body down. As you very lightly incorporate the image with the breath, melding, breathing, tuning in, relaxing to the loving kindness within, the sweetness. And you could just stay in that state for a few minutes, calming everything down and feeling any sensations of warmth in the heart of perhaps ecstasy, little streaks of ecstasy that can come through. Just a big exhalation. Feeling everything center. And it's in this state that you could calm your biology. So this is a, a sample of what I do when I'm stressed. I do this in the car before a meeting. I do this in the bathroom at the airport. I do this anywhere I could sneak it in because a few minutes of this can bring you back to your heart, can bring you back to the love that's always there everywhere. And then you go back out into the chaos or the difficulty or whatever is happening from this place. And I do this meditation many times during the day because I love it. I just love it. It's just what I suggest for people to to do no longer than three minutes. This isn't the type of meditation you do for any longer. You have to stop yourself. You must stop yourself. You can't keep going with this one. That's not what it's about. This is guerrilla meditation, it shifts energy, it calms emotions, it calms the stress response. And if you're around an emotional vampire, people who suck you dry, which is another chapter of the book, you know, you you go and you do this and then you deal with the person. But you don't deal with the person in a hyper-adrenalized state because then you're just a loose cannon and you're just reacting like everyone else who's unconscious. So this, I was asked in an interview recently, what is the one health practice you just can't live without? And this would be it. Because without this, I don't know what I'd do. If I couldn't stop three minutes and tune into my heart and my what's most beautiful and divine, I, I don't know what I would do. If I had to keep going with the mind, <laughs> it would be like torture. But this is a, a key emotional freedom practice to learn how to come back to yourself in the midst of chaos and use life as the experimental laboratory in which you can practice this. And this is the spiritual exercise. This is it. This is you go out. You know, I look at spirituality. You don't wait for the burning bush. You open your door in the morning you walk out the door and there you're given everything you need to practice. And with this one tool that I talk about in the book and in our program, this one tool, this could make it better for you.
0: What I noticed doing it was that I, I did have to drop my mental you know going round and round and round about about this or that and just really be in my body
1: yes that's exactly right it's, it's not about the head it's about this intuitive receptor we call the body and when you drop down into the heart the heart is the antidote to the mind our poor minds are so overactive particularly in the west you know they go non-stop thinking problem solving what if um, i'm not this i'm better than this person i'm less than that person you know that that judging mind you know the monkey mind that we've all been working with for so long and it, it's, it's something that people you know who are listening you know not something to be ashamed of if you've been on a spiritual path for 20 years and your monkey mind is still going crazy that's fine you just work with it no shame but this is the work because the mind sees about maybe 10% of everything, but the intuition sees about 100% You know, into the unknown. So you don't want to just be trapped. The mind will trap you in suffering. Um, but it's good. It's great at analyzing. You have to know what it's good for. But in terms of I feel less than and I'm afraid this is never going to work out feeling, the mind can't really help you with that. I mean, you can go through the list of, you know, I'm an incredible person, I'm this, that, or the other, but to really absorb the essence of of who you are and how that's connected to the divine, that's the body, and that's the intuition. That's all the water in your body resonating with all the water in the ocean, knowing, yes, you know, we're communing here, and we're one.
0: (laughs) What do you see as the connection between... Uh, somatic awareness, body awareness and intuitive capacity?
1: It's all interconnected that in order to have somatic awareness and heal the body and be in touch with what the body needs the, uh, the, the only real way to do it is through intuition because the intuition can feel every everything and what I talk about in, in Emotional Freedom is learning how to sense the energetics of emotions to be able to sense the little inklings of anxiety of energy as they begin to build up in your body so that you can begin to break the cycle really early on before it starts momentum. You see, but the body, you have to learn how to sense these subtle energies in the body and each emotion. I go through how to sense the difference, energy of each emotion, the energy of each one. They have different vibes. You know, for instance, jealousy and envy feels, can feel like a burning, searing, Hot flash, you know, whereas fear can feel like a, you know, a dull thud of a drumbeat that goes into, you know, some kind of pit. It, each person has a different intuitive take on each emotion, but in the book, I want people to know, to experience and experiment with what each energy feels like to you. So in the body, you can pick it up early. I mean, really early. You can feel the first twinges of, I'm not enough. You know, let's say your vulnerable point is your solar plexus, you know, or somewhere else. You have to know that that's part of the training in emotional freedom is learning what part of your body is holding the emotion. But you need to learn how to really recognize it pretty quick so that when it starts, and you can, once you entrain yourself and, and train yourself to do this, you can pick it up quickly and then stop the cycle. You know, that's the key in prevention. With working with emotions is to learn how to energetically, somatically sense them in the body just as they're beginning. It's really interesting to feel it. You know, not when you have a panic attack. You, you know, then it's already off and running and it's hard to break. Or not when the pain cycle starts and then it's hard to break. But to feel those little inklings of pain somewhere in the, you know, your your lower back or wherever it is, that's when you begin to work with the energy. emotions, So it's all connected, but it's so fascinating, you know, when you be able to explore the body and feel those energies of emotions in various parts of the body where they launch. And and then there's a section, I love the chapter that I wrote on anxiety because it talks about how anxiety is stuck, gets stuck, or past trauma gets stuck in the body. And so talk therapy is really not enough when you're dealing with trauma and you're dealing with, um, you know, very intense emotions that have happened because it gets stuck in the tissues, organs, and muscles. And so what I strongly suggest is that people get body work along with any kind of talk therapy or spiritual psychotherapy they get because you have to really work with the muscles themselves in order to release the trauma because it's stuck. And you need the physical hands-on approach or at least the energetic approach of... Of acupuncture or re- Reiki or something, some kind of energy healing, to, to get that those old traumas of emotions moving through the body. You know, Candace Pert, you know, is just so brilliant in her book *Molecules of Emotion*. She talks about this, and it's it, it's so so true. And for people to know that, you know, it, it's this uh, somatic, emotional, intuitive connection that allows mm-hmm. for healing.
0: Can you explain physiologically how it is that a traumatic response gets stuck in the muscles and tissues? Like, how does that actually work in the body? You know, let's say something happened to me when I was a child or whatever. How did that...
1: Yeah, well, what Candace says is that there's a, a pain, uh, there's a receptor there for the emotion, and that I don't think she knows which tissues have particular receptors, but the emotion she feels travels. And it hooks onto the receptor in the muscle itself, and it just stays there until it's worked through. I believe that's what the physiological explanation. But energetically, the explanation is that the the trauma I think resonates with the particular part in the body or your vulnerability, whatever that is, and it just finds a home there <laughs> until you can work it out. You know, with the hands, the right hands on the muscle or you know, activating the tissues, that helps to release the emotions. So there is a strong, strong energetic uh, element of emotional freedom that needs to be dealt with that is not dealt with in traditional medicine. They don't even believe in the concept of subtle energy fields. So that's a huge problem. You know, I just, people need to know, you know, if they go to a traditional practitioner, they are not going to have this language, usually. Yeah. But although it's changing... Um, and everyone who goes through a surgery, I strongly recommend energetic treatments before and after to help with the anesthesia, to work work it through your body, to help with, you know, the emotions that that happen during, before during and after surgery. You know, it's a big uh, experience for the body emotionally to go through a surgery and physically, and so you need to work with the energy to help it so you it doesn't stay in the system for so long
0: so what would you mean by let's pretend I've you know had some kind of surgery for a broken bone or something like that what kinds of energetic treatments are you recommending that I would have before or after
1: well it depends what you like you know I mean if you've had any experience uh, with particular therapies that have worked for you it's ideal of course to have practitioners you trust you know ready and waiting before during and after um, memen Oz, who is a heart surgeon at Columbia Presbyterian would have energy healers in the OR and also afterwards to help with wound healing. So it can be Reiki, it could be energy healing, it can be therapeutic touch, it could be acupuncture, it could be a, a gentle form of body work, of massage, or, or um, I, would, I would say not rolfing because that's a bit too intense after surgery, but just some kind of way to get the get the muscles and and body awakened and help to purify the anesthesia, which is so, so rough on the body. But the energetic techniques help you deal with the emotions involved with the surgery too, because there's often a lot of fear and anxiety and, God, I mean, what comes up over a surgery? I mean, that is huge. There's not a lot of exploration done in how a person feels beforehand. But if you really do that in yourself, if you've ever had even a minor surgery, it's a huge thing to, to surrender, to go under anesthesia, to have someone cut on your body. My God. You know, so there are all these emotions coming up. And so you can work with them energetically and notice um, what's going on and clear them afterwards. And just know you're entitled to feel anything. Because having a surgery is a big deal. But my point is, is that with any kind of trauma, whether it's a physical trauma like a surgery or an emotional trauma, you need to have a multifaceted approach using energy, using psychology, using intuition, and what is spirituality always asking, what is the spiritual meaning of this experience for me? Whether it's depression, whether it's a surgery, whether it's being angry at a friend, Always the essence of emotional freedom is asking what is the spiritual meaning of this experience and how can it help my heart grow, rather than the mind which says, this is horrible, I went out of this, and I just want it to be gone. The mind will always say that. You see, you just have to know that that's what the mind says. But if you go on a deeper level, the intuitive level, you know, what is this spiritual experience of this surgery? What is the spiritual experience of this cancer? What is the spiritual experience of this depression or this anxiety attack that I'm having now? You know, how can it help me find inner calm? You know, I talk about, uh, I had one anxiety attack in my own life, and it was after my mother died, and I felt like the world was just disintegrating beneath my feet. It was just a very hard adjustment for me to be without my mother here on Earth. And I was walking on a rock jetty nearby my house, you know by the ocean and this anxiety I've never felt anything like it I, it was just quaking my body I wasn't it was unbelievable and I knew at that point I really had to get help and so I, I went into therapy at that point to help me deal with some of my feelings about you know losing my mother but that feeling of just you want to just evaporate somewhere because it's, it's so anxious and and I'm happy, you know, that I went through that, and I've gone through so many other emotions that I can know what it's like when other people feel it, when my patients feel it, so that I can have compassion for it. You know, it's very, I'm a big experiencer, so when I have the experience, it's ingrained in me, and then I can have compassion for how other people feel. You know, I, so I like all my experiences, that's difficult, I mean, that was, you know, I don't know if you've ever had one, but they are unbelievably uncomfortable. You know, they're like, hell, you can't walk forward, you can't walk back without feeling like you're jumping out of your skin, It and there's nothing you can do about it at the time, you know, other than, you know, learn to calm yourself down, which is what that particular experience helped me to really hone all these calming techniques that I share in the book, you know, and... Learning how to find inner calm in the midst of chaos is the essence of emotional freedom and the essence of my spiritual practice. That's it. You know, learning how to find calm in chaos and find the heart. And you be the one to center the situation that's reeling out of control. You don't wait for someone else to do it. That's a great challenge and great victory, isn't it?
0: Very much so. Now, when you say, though, the spiritual message or the spiritual meaning of the experience, taking, for example, this anxiety attack on the beach and the anxiety at being in the world without your mother, what, w- what would you say was the spiritual meaning of that anxiety?
1: Oh, multi-multi-level. But the, the spiritual meaning, the basic is to learn how to find calm amidst the energy of anxiety to be able to find that inner calm no matter what's happening. Biologically, if all my stress hormones are, you know, really having a meltdown and causing an anxiety attack or whatever, to be able to find calm in the midst of the most turbulent energies you can experience. That is emotional freedom. That's the spiritual challenge. And also, you know, psychologically, to learn to see that I could be okay without my mother on earth. You see the mother was such a powerful energy for me and we had so many love hate you know wonderful you know encounters over you know our lifetimes and and we we reached quite a bit of peace before she passed on but to see that i would be okay without her you know which was big for me and to really now you can rebel or you can if you have a mother to to buffer against and argue with and Work things out that's very different than having a mother who's not here in physical form to do that with anymore you know to feel you're on your own. It's a you know a rite of passage to lose the mother big rite of passage and uh it's a huge it was a huge experience in my life, and so it taught me to be okay in myself without my mother basically and, and to find calm in the midst of um this huge turbulent anxiety energy that could come forth. And when I feel anxious in smaller degrees in my life, I know how to bring it down quickly. You see, and that's the essence of emotional freedom. It's not letting it get you, but you saying, aha, this is the energy of anxiety. I know you, and this is what I can do to bring it down quickly. You see, working with the self, that's the essence of emotional freedom. But working with these turbulent energies, these things we call emotions are wild. I mean, they are strong. Depression, anxiety, jealousy, envy. My God. I mean, they could bounce you around and, and as it should be. I mean, that's why we're here on Earth, is to learn how to master energy. That's part of the teaching here. You see, but if you can see it from a spiritual standpoint instead of just torture, you can see it as this is the teaching here. This is it. This is why I'm here. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's horrible. Yes. I'm going to learn to master it, and isn't that incredible?
0: So when you say seeing it from a spiritual standpoint, you're you're saying seeing what the gifts are that it's bringing, seeing what the lessons are. What, what uh, you know, you, you mentioned how you can start to track that first arising of an wow, emotion. Right. You know, whether it's fear or you know jealousy. I mean, I can certainly know when I'm talking to somebody, I can see that little jealous thing just r- r- start coming forward. I get it. Now, how do I then inquire into what is the spiritual lesson of this arising, of this emotion?
1: You close your eyes, you take a few breaths, you ask your intuition, and you see what you get. You have to ask the question, though, and then tune in. But basically, you know, the way I've, I've written the book is that to, the, counteract, the way to counteract and heal jealousy is with self-esteem. And that it's always about a self-esteem issue in yourself. It's not about the other person or, you know, the wonderful lesson of thou shalt not compare. You know, on a spiritual level, it's irrelevant. I mean, of course you know that, that it's a lesson that deepens because it's apples and oranges. What this person is getting over there, what you think you want that they have, it's irrelevant. It might not be in your karma to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it might not be right for you to get it, and and so it's always the work with the self. In the jealousy and envy chapter, I I talked about my work with envy. I had oh, just horrible envy for many many years when I would have friends who would get on the New York Times bestseller list, and I I hadn't been on it then. Oh, I would work with this this feeling of burning and heat and you know just like a hot flash, getting making me smaller and upset. You know, I I'd be aware of the energetics of it. And over the years, I really worked with it in myself to, you know, root for the happiness of the rival. Even if you don't believe it, it shifts the energy, you know, instead of staying stuck in the jealousy, looking at my own path as being perfect and learning to work with my own self-esteem. So with this book, you know, when I did get on the New York Times bestseller list, you know, I was thrilled, happy, joyous, everything. But I had done a lot of the work, you know, with Envy for years prior to that. So, you know, I'm happy that that particular issue gave me the opportunity to work with my envy so it doesn't get me that much anymore because I don't want to be the kind of person who isn't happy for you. (laughs) That isn't who I want to be. And so I've worked with with myself using the principles of this book to develop my own self-esteem, to keep my eyes on myself, to be able to take contrary action and, and root for... Someone else's happiness, even when they're competitive with me, well, I feel they're competitive with me. And you know, it was only in this one issue, you know. It doesn't—I don't really have it much in other issues. It was this one issue, Tammy, that was really, really getting to me. But you see, I worked with it, and I looked at it as my spiritual challenge. And I didn't want it to be that way. And the essence of emotional freedom is—is is seeing non-reactively or is it non-judgmentally that you have jealousy, you have envy, and maybe you don't want to be that way. So the spiritual challenge is to work with the self. You see, jealousy and envy become dangerous when people aren't working with the self. And they can devour you, they can hurt relationships, they can cause all kinds of negative actions where you try and hurt other people. And so that's why it's a spiritual Lesson, each emotion is a spiritual lesson. If you work with yourself to transform the envy with self-esteem, when you get in a situation and your envy is coming up, to look at this is your spiritual challenge to work with this. This isn't about the other person. They're just the, the spiritual teacher who is invoking this in you. Now, they're dark teachers and light teachers, but everybody, the way I look at it in my own life, what upsets me most, what other people do, It's it's an issue in myself. You see, otherwise it wouldn't cut into me so viscerally. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You see, I don't want to be reactive every time my buttons are pushed. And and if I am, then whoever it is has gotten one of my buttons, and that's my work. That's not their work. That's my work.
0: You know, it's interesting when you told the story about the anxiety that you experienced after your mother's death, and you said that it was so... um, crushing that you sought out help from a therapist who helped you through this difficult period in your life. And it's interesting because I can imagine someone thinking, God, you know, here, Dr. Judith Orloff, energy psychiatrist, she had to seek out a therapist?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a total illusion. I'm on the path just like everyone else, and I'm really passionate about getting through these emotions in my life. Um, and I've been in therapy often on most of my adult life. I am good at seeking help. That's a really positive quality that I have. You know, I love to seek help because I want to be free. I do not want to be bogged down by all of this. And when I... I love guidance. There's nothing better than good guidance. <laughs> I love it. It's it's a, it's a gift when you get someone who actually can give you wise guidance. Mm-hmm. So I don't hesitate to seek it out. And I encourage people to find the right people to work with, not the wrong people. You don't want to find somebody who doesn't get you. But when you find somebody who gets you and can actually help you, my God, I am totally grateful.
0: Now, talking about guidance and help, uh, I read in the book Emotional Freedom that you have been working with a spiritual teacher for two decades. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that, what that means for you to have a relationship with a spiritual teacher.
1: Well, it's probably one of the most important things that has ever happened in my life. And my teacher is a Taoist teacher. Um, He's uh, Chinese-Malaysian. And we practice Taoism, which is the cultivation of the heart. It's the cultivation of of, uh, subtle energies. It's being of service, and it's connecting to nature. And it's developing intuition and um, meditation. Um, And so over the years, you know, he's helped me in so many deep, deep ways to practice, go into the practice of the heart, and I've learned so much, you know, in terms of my meditation practice and the kind of guidance that I needed on a spiritual level to develop. I'm not big on rules and regulations, and Taoism, thank goodness, is very flowing and open. It's not like Zen Buddhism, you know, where you <laughs> have a lot of rules. I could never do that. <laughs> But Taoism is is meditating. We have special ritual practices on the full moon and the new moon, and I've been doing this for oh, 25 years. Every time the new moon and the full moon comes, I clean my altar, I light my candles, I do special prayers. I eat vegetarian. I uh, I honor the the cycles of, of nature and the moon. And, and since I've been Taoism is is uh, very reverent of the moon and and water and. All the elements which I've always felt a connection, deep connection to and so in my prayers and in my meditations it's very nature related and I before I go to sleep at night, the last thing I do is go out and look at the ocean and look up at the moon. That's my touchstone into dream time. You see, and Taoism in particular honors all of that and I, I've done that instinctively since I've been a child. I always was an only child, um, you know, and as I said, my my parents forbade me to to express my intuitions at home, and I had, you know thought there was something wrong with me. But at night, you know, laying there in my bed, looking up at that sweet moon, you know, I felt that you know I had a companion. You know, so so nature has always been deeply spiritual to me. So Taoism, because of its fluid connection to nature and the heart, and meditation and being of service, always with nature being in the background and the elements coming into all aspects of service and healing, you know, that's very appealing to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Now the moon, you know, seems to be archetypally associated with intuition. I wonder for you, what, what is the moon for you?
1: Well, the moon is my friend. That's all I know since I've been little, it's been my friend, and it just shines through everything in me, and I love it, and it's my companion. Is that what
0: you mean? Yeah, the moon's <laughs> your friend. I like that, Judith. It's nice. <laughs>
1: and I, I sometimes, when I do intuitive readings, sometimes I just look up at the moon and the night sky and ask the question and get the answer from them. Mm-hmm. At the night sky and the moon are, are my family. Always have been.
0: Well, finally, our series here is called Insights at the Edge. And. I'm curious here you have a book on the New York Times bestseller list what is your current edge for you internally what's your edge that are you working with one
1: always always I always push to the edge and beyond (laughs) that's my thing that's always my thing it's the edge is always trust faith open (laughs) Every day, trust, faith, open. No, don't let fear stop me. I, I get into the the child's pose every morning, doing my yoga stretches, and pray to have my fear and anxiety released, so I could be of service and so I could experience joy. In that surrender experience of the stretch, in the opening up of the, listening to the ocean waves, stretching and praying to have those emotions released from me. That's my edge. I don't want to be stopped by fear. And it's an ongoing uh, practice of, of having fear released. It's not like something that just happens and you're done with it. It's a flow of energy. And so that prayer and that desire to trust and face and, and playful and and youthful, you know, despite years, years not aging you, you know, that kind of edge. I love that, you know, aging in a in a way in which you become freer instead of become downtrodden. That's that's the edge of emotional freedom, of doing things in a different way, not buying into the the old stale stereotypes of how they say things should be, you know. That's all the edge for me.
0: Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. <clears throat>
0: This program has been brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Please visit us at SoundsTrue.com and experience our award-winning audio programs for yourself. Programs that embrace the world's major spiritual traditions, as well as the arts and humanities, embodied by the leading authors, teachers, and visionary artists of our time. With every title, we strive to preserve the essential living wisdom of the author, artist, or spiritual teacher. Not only will you receive information, but you will receive the essential quality of a wisdom transmission between a teacher and a student. Many Voices, One Journey. Soundstrue.com